Has everything that has happened in the past two years, a pandemic, lockdowns, severe illness in our communities, and the potential passing of many friends, family, and loved ones led to an increase in depression, anxiety, and suicide? What can you do if someone you love is feeling suicidal? Stay tuned on this episode of The One in Five as we talk about suicide. Hey all, welcome to The One in Five, the show for those who want to know how to be healthy, how to stay healthy, and how to promote health in your community. I'm your host, Adam Ranchai, and today's show, we have Dr. David Mark, and we are going to be talking about the very heavy topic of suicide and depression. Dr. Mark, thanks for joining us on this rainy morning in the studio. Um, Serious stuff that we got to cover here today, Um, but I think it could potentially be really beneficial uh, for those who know someone who's struggling uh, with suicidal thoughts or someone who might be suicidal themselves, and hopefully we can offer some hope this morning. In the intro, Dr. Mark, we talked about the circumstances that are going on sort of on the earth right now, uh, pandemic, lockdowns, um, severe illness, death in those that we love. Um, Dr. Mark, can you just answer the question, has this led to a sort of a heightened depression in certain people? Has this led to heightened suicidal thoughts in people? The answer is probably, you know, and I think that it's, Often in in science, and particularly when asking questions like, does this big global event cause more X X disease or or prevalence of this condition? Those studies take years to to, to do because you have to apply rigorous tools of epidemiology and statistics and things. Um, And so a few years from now, we'll probably look back and say, yeah, look what happened. The great disruption of 2020 led to this astronomical increase in diseases of despair, And we actually already see some of that. Mm. Um, So with certain like overdose deaths and other, other, uh, um, you know, conditions that we we describe as related to, you know, societal disruption, we can see evidence of that already. But I I suspect that a few years from now, we'll say, wow, look, here's the effect that the pandemic and all of its associated disruptions, here's what that did for the country's mental health mm. or pre- for the prevalence of depression, for the incidence of suicide, for all of these really heartbreaking and concerning issues that, that we're going to touch on today. So the, yeah, so probably is, is the answer. Okay. And, and, you know, we don't have to wait for those, you know, for that data, right? We, we can, we can understand that in, in our communities, you know, people are hurting. Right. This, is, this is a crazy time. And so, more important than whether there's a statistical, you know, connection between this and that and the other thing, we just, you know, common sense tells us that this is a this is a difficult, fragile, tender, delicate time for so many people that we need to be aware of folks in our communities, and we need to be thinking, you know, how you know how are folks doing, and what can we yeah. do to to sort of respond in a, in a really better and healthy way. So that leads us to how would I identify potential warning signs in somebody? Right. And, um, and there's, you know, sadly, uh, suicide is really, uh, common and in our part of the world, it's, it's sort of really common. Um, you know, I think about 45,000 people in this country die every year from suicide. Oh man. 
And, um, and, in, and in Montana <clears throat> that, you know, we have, when you look at the rate of, of that kind of stuff, we've, we've, we're consistently up in the, if not the highest rate in the top few states in, in the nation. So sadly, it's very common. And so it really, it, it is important for, for those of us in the rural parts of this world and in this country to be aware of, of some warning signs or, 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 or looking for concerning actions or comments or behaviors that might lead us to think that, you know, this, guy, this, this, this friend, this, this associate, this colleague, not doing well. And really, I need to be paying attention and seeing what I can do to offer some help. Yeah, actions, comments, behaviors, I think you nailed it. So, like, what sort of actions, what sort of comments, what sort of behaviors am I looking for? It's, you know, the, the, some of it is, is pretty obvious, others a little bit more subtle. So, obviously, you know, looking for signs of suicidal thoughts and behaviors, um, looking for uh, evidence of maybe inj- self-injurious things, you know, people hurting themselves or self-harm, so, you know, some of the warning signs are, are obvious, you know, like if someone's threatening to hurt or kill themselves, t- take it seriously. If, you know, if they're looking for um, access to something to hurt themselves, mm. I, mean, I need a gun, I need a knife, you know, take it seriously. P- you know, kids or, or others who are talking or writing about death or dying or suicide, red flag. Um, you know, when people are feeling hopeless, when they think that there's nothing else to do, the only way out of my horrible state is to end it all. Take it seriously. Acting uh, recklessly, engaging in really risky behaviors. You know, I want to just end it by a big accident. Um, so increased use of alcohol or drugs, um, driving crazy. Um, withdrawing, pulling back from, from friends and family um, or from society in general, another warning. Um, and, you know, and in sometimes in, <clears throat> in some folks, they will be much more agitated, much more angry, much more irritable. Um, and, and, if, and if that's sort of a change, that, that's something to be taken seriously. Uh, and finally, if there's a big dramatic change in mood, too. I mean, all of that, um, you know, this person's not their usual self. Okay. Those should all sort of, you know, make you, make you pause, make you wonder, is, is something going on? It, so... You mentioned substance abuse, and that's it's. Would that fall into that sort of reckless behavior sort of thing? Or you know, it does. And and um, you know, obviously, substance abuse is a complicated uh, issue and something um, that we we can spend lots of time talking about. One of the one of the <clears throat> one of the facets of substance abuse is this notion of of self medicating. Okay. I want to numb the pain or. Um, uh, I want to, you know, escape from a, from a hurt or a, or a trauma or a tragedy, but in others, it's you know, I really, you know, <clears throat> I want to, I want to end this. I want to, I want to see if I can drink myself to death, okay. or, or you know, Ouch. and so, so there, there's, there's definitely lots of layers, and it's, it's a complicated issue. So, let's say I've I- identified maybe one or two of these things, or I'm curious, or I'm worried, yeah, potentially that someone close to me might be struggling with this. What what can I do? Um, and I and let me let me just clarify the question. So my tendency is to want to say, "Hey, you need to go talk to somebody." But is there something I can do before that? Is there something that I can do to maybe bridge the gap between them going to talk to somebody? Is there a way that I can help? There is now, and I think you know 
the the important caveat that we should put out there is that if if you get the feeling that someone's life is in, in immediate danger, you got to act immediately. And um, so if you have reason to believe that somebody is actively suicidal, please call. We have a national suicide prevention hotline or lifeline, uh, 1-800-273-TALK, T-A-L-K, which is 8255. So at the, at the very least, you know, that's a great intervention if you think this is an immediate thing. But your question of like, you know, you know before um, just referring someone, you know, this colleague or friend of mine to professional help, what else can I do as a bridge? And I think there is, there is a lot that can be done. And um, I, should, I should preface some of these remarks by saying there's a great course called Mental Health First Aid, which teaches these concepts uh, in an effort to try to help in, in empower communities to, you know, to basically have a better, better awareness of this as a problem, of an issue, and, and empower folks to be able to, to take action, just like we do with, with um, CPR courses. The more people okay. in a community we can train to be aware of the importance of, of um, suicide and suicidality, the better equipped we will be collectively to, do, to, to, make a, to make a change that helps. So a lot of these concepts come right from this mental health first aid course. Okay. Um, but part, of, the, part of, the, of that next step, if, you, if you're sensing that somebody's in a, in a tough spot, you know, listening in, in an open and non-judgmental way is vital. And what, what you're doing when you listen to somebody who's, who's struggling, who's describing suicidal thoughts and feelings, you're communicating to them that, that you know, yeah, you, you, you care about them, you can handle it, you're willing to, to be there with them, and uh, your presence with them just communicates that, that there is hope, there's something that can be done. And so, um, so not being shocked, not, you know, being aware of your, of your body language, of your facial expressions, um, you know, being, being able to sort of just be a presence with somebody is vitally important. That can be that bridge that you described that gets somebody from, you know, from trusting you enough to say something and, and maybe I'll trust you enough to actually to listen and, and get connected to help, uh, professional help to get through this. So that's a really important next step. Um, and then, you know, in addition to sort of listening, you want to be able to, to offer reassurance and to provide information. So you want to help your friend, help your colleague understand that as dark as this place seems, as hopeless and helpless as people feel, there actually are things that can be done. There is a, there, there is a, a rational reason to have hope. And, you know, and when, folks are for, when folks are at that dark place in life, you know, just the knowledge that, that there is hope is life-saving um and then having the tools having the information to say okay here are some resources here are some steps that we can take that i can help take with you to get you to talk to somebody to get you connected to somebody to get you resources to to really to wrap around you um and and here's a phone number and here's a person and let's go together okay that's, that's what i was life. gonna ask should you offer to go with them should you offer to say hey i'm with you on this, whatever you need. I mean, the answer is it obviously it depends on the, on the, on your particular relationship with this individual, the particular, you know, instances and, and situation. But if you are, you know, if you are a close friend, if you're a trusted, um, you know, member of this person's circle, that's a great thing to do. Okay. Because again, it, it communicates your care for the individual, it communicates safety, it communicates hope. 
Um, and it really can practically be the thing that gets the person from where they are now to a, a, a safer place. Yeah. It's like compassion doesn't always come naturally in, in a situation like that, I think, because fear is probably the the thing that's highest on the list. And I, I'm, I'm just speaking about myself. Like, like when I hear somebody who's struggling like that, I, I fear for them, right? And so that compassion that should be at the forefront is probably a little further back and the ration the rationale is not necessarily at the forefront and so it's like panic yeah. mode almost and i want to be able to avoid that sort of at all costs so well good though i think those are some some you given us some really great tools um to to effectively help those who are struggling those who we love our colleagues our friends um Let's internalize it a little bit. What if I'm feeling suicidal? What can I do? I, I know it's probably not a natural thing to to want to reach out if you're feeling that way. Yeah. So what can I do if I'm feeling suicidal? What can yeah. help get me over that hump? Yeah. I mean, it's that's it's a really you know it's a paralyzing place to be, and um, and the you know the same sort of principles, the same pieces apply. There, the important thing, if you yourself are in that dark place, um, you know, our, our message to you is that there is hope. There are, there are effective ways to get through this dark place. So there's all sorts of, of people that want to help you. There are all sorts of resources available to, to get you feeling better, to get you in a different place, uh, to get you safe, um, and to, to really resolve that the, the crap that's leading you mm. into this darkness. So you can always call that same hotline, you know, that, that is, um, that is available 24 seven for all of us, you know, who have a phone. So 1-800-273-8255, 1-800-273-TALK. And, you know, the people that staff that, that, that lifeline is what it's called are, experts they're professionals they're caring people they've many of them have been in places like this before themselves or know someone or have been affected by this issue so the um they are non-judgmental they are there to listen to support to help and to get you connected to real resources that can that can provide uh transformation for you and you'll get a voice 24 7 right you will yeah this not is a, not, a, not a robocall okay not leave your name and get a call back well that that's great Anything else? Um, I mean, I think like I would want to reach out to somebody. How does how do I how do I get the courage to reach out to someone close to me? Yeah, it's it. That's everyone is loved. Yeah, that's the thing. Yeah, someone loves you. Yeah. <laughs> how do I get the courage to to sort of step up and reach out to that person that loves me, or maybe I don't know they love me. Right, and that that's that's so much a part of this issue and a part of this why it's such a vexing challenge. Man, so takeaways here, uh, we got uh, look for the warning signs. Um, some of those warning signs can be mood changes, substance use disorder, self-harm. Um, if we see those signs, there are some real practical things that we can do. We can be compassionate. We can let people know that we care and we can offer to go with them 
uh, to talk to somebody or get some sort of help. Um, if we ourselves are feeling suicidal, uh, we can definitely access the suicide prevention line, 800-273-8255. There are other resources available too, uh, suicidepreventionlifeline.org. Um, there's a web site called Now Matters Now that I was looking into that has stories um, of survivors. And then even here in Bighorn County, I know Rowanna gets down often is going to be starting a Bighorn County Mothers of Suicide group. Um, so uh, that could potentially be a resource. But uh, before we go, Dr. Mark, I just I found this story of someone and I wanted to read it real quick uh, to our listeners and to you. This is uh, from Jennifer. The first time I wanted to kill myself, I was 14, said Jennifer, a 36-year-old mother in Portland, Oregon. Barely a teenager, she had already experienced a lifetime of tragedy. Two people she knew, a close friend and a boyfriend, had been murdered over the course of two years. I remember walking across the bridge over the freeway and wanting to throw myself over it because I thought it was my fault, she said. I blamed myself for years. I was the cursed person, you know. You didn't want to be friends with me. It's dangerous. It wasn't until college that she made the decision to end her life. Jennifer, who had been diagnosed with bipolar disorder the previous year, was going through a tumultuous breakup with an ex-boyfriend who'd taken to sending her cruel messages, including one which told her, you would be better off dead. I remember just being in the pit of despair, Jennifer said. I didn't believe that anybody would care if I was gone. I didn't think anybody would even notice. Jennifer attempted to overdose, but she woke up a day and a half later. I remember getting up and I remember going to the bathroom and being confused as to what day it was and then wondering why nobody had come in and found me. So in some ways, it was a self-fulfilling prophecy. Nobody did notice. Today, Jennifer takes medication for her depression and bipolar disorder and goes to therapy. She works for Multnomah County's Office of Developmental and Intellectual Disabilities Services in Portland, where she lives with her husband and their five-year-old son, Edwin. He knows that at some point mom was sick and that mom tried to kill herself, but that things are better now, she said. And having that conversation was challenging, but all he could do was give me a big hug and say, that he was happy that I was here, which means a lot. I hope that that story fills you with hope. There's always hope. There is. There's always hope. And this child who is glad that his mom is around is a great sign. It's, um, there's great hope in that. So I think that's it. Do you have anything else about this heavy topic dr mark no i would just echo exactly what you said please there's always hope reach out if you need it thanks for joining us for this episode of the one in five if you found this content beneficial please follow this podcast 
If you listen on Apple Podcasts or a platform that allows reviews, would you leave us a review? If you have any questions or would like to suggest a topic for us to discuss, you can email me at adam.renshaw at 1chc.org. Stay tuned. We have some great health topics coming your way.